Quick reminder, next week, Brother Bruce McClarty is going to be here for our charge weekend. As you know, it was supposed to be in January, but due to uh, unforeseen circumstances, we had to cancel that. And he will be here next week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I hope that you will make plans to be here Friday night at 7, Saturday at 7, and then on Sunday he'll be speaking during our class time here, so we won't be having a regular class. Of course, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. But uh, anyways, he'll be here for class and uh, worship, and then I guess we'll have a fellowship meal, and then we'll have an uh, afternoon service at one around 1 o'clock instead of our regular 6 o'clock evening service. So make plans for that, and we're looking forward to hearing Brother McClarty and his lessons. Uh, okay, if you'll be opening up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, we'll be continuing in our study there. <clears throat> a few things we want to mention. Open up to uh, Ephesians, and we'll start with, with, with chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 2, but let's look at chapter 1. And understand that it should, be, it should be evident by now that one of the purposes Paul had in writing this letter to the church there in Ephesus was to help answer his own prayer to the Ephesians, right? In other words, they may know such things as he said there in verse 18. And let's just read it, chapter 1, uh, verse 18. He says, uh, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see, he's, he's, he had a prayer that they may know about the hope that is in his calling that he had for them. The, ho- the, the blessings that they've received through that the riches of the glory of his inheritance that they were going to receive. We talked about that, right? We talked about that inheritance that we have, the inheritance that we look forward to, the the, the abundant life that we receive now, the blessings that we receive now in Christ, right? We talked about how that is played over and over and over in that first chapter in particularly. The blessings received from the Father, from, from the Son, and from the Spirit as well. So this is wonderful things that we've talked about in the church, and he's telling the church in Ephesus, this is my prayer. These are things that I want for you. I want, to, I want, I want you to understand these things. And in the first part of chapter 2, we talked about how uh, his wonderful grace has been expressed to them in their salvation, right? In their personal salvation, that grace that they have received through their salvation, through his willingness to send his son on their behalf, right? And of course, that applies to us today, right? That applies to us and our, and the way we receive those same blessings through Christ Jesus. Now these next few verses, Paul's going to speak a little bit more in a, in a general or corporate terms in relation to that salvation. And he's going to talk about not only the Jews receiving this blessing that believed, but also the Gentiles. Let's, let's begin and read uh, in verse 11 there of Ephesians chapter 2. And just pay attention to the way he, some of the verses he, he's, we read here and some of the stuff that he says regarding the Gentiles and their, and their ability to become heirs along with the Jews. Verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Now, isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful statement, right? Reading on, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. For through him we, have both, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. All right. Interesting concepts, right? And these verses are, are being written to the church in Ephesus. Mostly, those folks are Gentiles that were converted, right? And so you have to understand that in the context of the first century. This may not mean all that much to us, perhaps, in our lives. We, we have a different experience with, with our Christianity, right? But these Gentiles were outside of that, and they, they didn't have the law. They didn't have the law of Moses. They didn't have the promises and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Look there in chapter 3, and let's read a few verses that he says there. Beginning in verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, and has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. He's telling the brethren in Ephesus that they have been, had the mystery revealed. The mystery revealed that they are now fellow heirs in the body of Christ. Fellow heirs with those who had the law. <sighs> so this is important because it describes us, right? It describes us as being believers and that same Christ, believers in what he did for us. Therefore, we have been made heirs of that great inheritance, just like these Gentiles in Ephesus in the first century. I doubt that many of us in here, if any, there might be a couple that have any Jewish heritage, right? Uh, certainly not something that you probably were doing in your life where you were keeping the law of Moses, right? But we can understand how this benefits us, right? The same grace, the same, the same blessings that they had received, we receive as well. So it's important to us. It makes clear that our condition can be today just like their condition was in Christ. And we talked a little bit a couple of weeks, right, and what it means to be outside of Christ, how you don't have those blessings, how you don't have these rich blessings and the promises. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. The Gentiles' condition without Christ, verse 12, he says what? They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. What's that mean? Well, obviously, they were not part of the state of Israel. The state of Israel was the chosen 
race, chosen group, chosen people of God. All you got to do is study the Old Testament, and you'll understand that. In other words, they were not included with God's chosen people, right? They didn't have the promises in the law. What else did he say? They were strangers from the covenants of the promise. If you want to turn over to Genesis chapter 17, let's read exactly what that promise was. Genesis 17, let's just read a couple verses there. If you want to read, turn over there and read with me, if not, that's fine. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7. And he says, I, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, after you and their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now this is God talking to Abraham, giving him the promise that he will be their God throughout the ages. Not just to him, but to his descendants, right? That covenant promise made with Abraham that they would be his people. He promises that to be, he will be God to you and that he will be their God. And then he also says in verse 12, the Gentiles had no hope. Hope springs forth from what? What do we get hope from? Well, promises made, right? We have a hope that we will spend eternity with God. How do we know that? He promised it. Right? If you believe, baptized into him, raised the newness of life, you now have, are participating as an adopted son of God and look forward to that inheritance which you will receive. We have that hope. The Gentiles did not have that hope. Maybe they just didn't realize it. Or maybe they saw what the Jews had. Realized they were not, didn't have it. Maybe there was some of that. Also says in verse 12, they were without God in the world. What have we said about eternity? What's going to be really the, big, the, the biggest or the baddest thing, the worst thing? You know, we talk about hell and talk about how bad it's going to be, but we are going to be separated from God. That's going to be the ultimate, right? For eternity. Turn over to Acts chapter 14 and let's read a few verses here. I want to see what's said here. Acts chapter 14, and let's begin in verse 8. This is about idolatry that some of those at Lystra wanted to participate in because of some miracles. Verse 8, And in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw that Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They were amazed. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. 
But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that, we, that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk on their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. What was going on here? Here we have those who worshipped idols in Lystra, right? They see miracles being performed, and they think these men are gods, just like Zeus and Hermes, and they want to worship them. And what does Paul and Barnabas do? They say, no, 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 we are just men. We are representatives of the God, the living God, who, by the way, left witnesses for you. You see, you, you were able to see that this God existed. Well, how was that? Well, to the creation. This same God who gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. What they're saying is, this God provided for you, even though you didn't worship him, even though you were worshiping idols. You had the opportunity to see who this God was. We read about that in Romans 1, too. Paul's talking about how the Gentiles were out without, without excuse. Couldn't get the words up. Because they had creation. All you got to do is go outside. It's raining this morning. Well, how does that happen? Well, you know, you got weathermen who try to predict that, right? And they usually get it wrong because they're just men. It's our God who provides that, who provides that rain that's needed, right? Who provides the food that we have to have to sustain life. That living God that Paul and Barnabas talked about here. So you see, the Gentiles' tradition without Christ, they had no excuse because they could see that this God existed. So in one sense, they did have God, as he didn't leave them without a witness. Didn't have the law, didn't have the promises, but they did see that. The Gentiles' condition through Christ can now be what, though? Verses 13 through 16, he says they can become one body with the Jews. Because Jesus, who is our peace. Because of Jesus, who broke down the middle wall of division, as he said there. Right? There was a wall up between the Jews and the Gentiles. By his death on the cross, he abolished that which created the enmity between Jew and Gentile. What was that enmity? The law of Moses, given at Mount Sinai. You see, the Jews had the law. They had Moses. Gentiles did not. Therefore, what he's saying is Christ's death on the cross removed that, put to death that enmity, brought peace to all, not just the Jews. All right? Therefore, we can share in that access to the Father, verses 17 and 18. Same as the Jews have, because of what? Jesus, who came and preached peace to those who were afar off, Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jews. And so you can imagine what 
this brethren are, un- are hearing and understanding. You know, the, I'm sure they had experienced that Jewish, I don't know what you want to call it, I'll get enmity for them. Because the Jews had a lot of disgust for the Gentiles. They didn't associate with them, right? It's part of their life. You remember Peter when he was told to go see Cornelius? Remember that? He even mentioned, it's, it's, it's against the law for me to come in your house, right? But Paul is saying that has been removed because of Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That access to the Father is through him, Romans 8, 34. And that access to the Father is by one spirit, Romans 8, 26 and 27. We've read Romans 8 many times. I consider that one of the greatest chapters in the scriptures. You should read it often. We know that we have access to the Father because of Christ Jesus. The Gentiles' condition in Christ, verse 19, they are now fellow citizens with the saints. Before, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from those covenants of promise. But now, they are fellow citizens with God's people. They are now members of the household of God. Before, they were without God in the world, but now they are members of God's family. And I mentioned one of those things that we're looking forward to in eternity is being with God, right? But remember how we read when we studied John? Every week, the last two verses, these things have been written, many more things have been written that were not in this book, that you might have life in Christ Jesus and life abundant, meaning now. Meaning in this life, you can have abundant life only in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying now the Gentiles are able to experience that as well. They are now members of God's family. They are now part of his holy temple in the Lord. Verses 20 through 22 talk about this. Before, they were without God in the world. Now, God dwells in them through his spirit. The Jews had the physical temple in Jerusalem, right? The house of God, the inner sanctum, the holy of holies where God symbolically lived with his people where only the high priest would go in there on one day, day of atonement. And of course, he had to have the sacrifices and the incense and all that, spread the blood on the mercy seat and all that stuff, or else he'd probably die. Now, we understand that holy temple is us, those who believe God living in us through his spirit. Well, What, it, what, it, what does this mean for us? What, what, I mean, yeah, we can understand how that really was a big deal to the Gentiles at that time, right? But we don't experience um, that enmity, right, between Jews and us now. I mean, I, there's probably not too many of us that even have, know, you may know somebody who's Jewish, but you probably don't deal with them religiously, perhaps, right? So we don't really understand what they had to go through, perhaps. But we can understand that condition of being outside Christ, right? Being an alien or a stranger with no participation in the covenants or the promises that God had promised to the Jews that we can now receive because of Christ. A person nowadays has no basis for hope and must go through life without that blessing of God if you're outside of Christ. Talked about that before. I cannot imagine living my life 
outside of Christ. Can you? I mean, I know many of you have been in Christ for many, many years, right? And I'm sure if you went back and looked at things that have happened to your life, you've been blessed, right? And you know that you were blessed by God. Not something that you did. Not something that happened because of your job. Not something that happened because of your family. But you knew that was from God. I bet if you, anybody in here that's been around a long time, and a lot of you have, most of you have, I guess, you can remember things that had to be from God. And of course we know that everything we have comes from God. Whether you believe that or not, it's true. People who are not Christians today have no hope. They are aliens, just like the Gentiles were that Paul talks about here. They did not have the promises of God. With this deal going on with Ukraine, there's not much we can do personally, right? I mean, we're on the other side of the world, right? There's, there's a whole ocean, or you might say two oceans between us, right? But we can pray, right? James 5.16, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We can be in prayer, and perhaps that is the greatest thing that we can do. But one thing to understand there is, and we talked about this, I don't know if anybody in here remembers, we studied prayer, uh, I think it was 2018 we were studying prayer. And we talked a bit about this, what blessings we have in Christ, but also the benefit of being able to pray to the Father. Right? And the fact that we can go right in that throne room because of the blood of Christ. We can go right in there and talk, just like he's our real dad, physical daddy. We can do it. But those without hope, those who outside of Christ cannot. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. In the Old Testament, the Jews understood that Christ, I mean, that God did not hear the prayers of those who were unrighteous, who were sinners, right? 1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears, are, his ears can hear their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, we talked about this. God doesn't... He, He's omniscient, right? He can hear, everything. he knows everything. But he's not going to respond to prayers of those who are outside of Christ. That's very scriptural. In fact, turn over to the book of John. I want to, I want to read, uh, uh, we're going to read chapter 9. I just want you to hear this. It's, it's an interesting concept. There's so many lessons in this chapter. I don't want to read through it and see some things there that deal with this. John chapter 9. And uh, <clears throat> let's read with an axe there. It's a little bit of a long chapter, but bear with me. I want to I read through this and see if we can, what we can glean from this. At the beginning of John chapter 9, Christ is going to heal a blind man. And I want you to hear the uh, discussion that the Pharisees have with the blind man, with his parents, and with Jesus. Dealing with uh, sin and what they thought about sin and things like that. 
Verse 1, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Remember that, because it's going to play into this story. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, they, they believe that someone's born blind is because of sin. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. In other words, God will be glorified through him because he's blind. And we're going to find out how in just a second. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And you can imagine. A blind man you've known for a long time, all of a sudden he can see. Some said, This is he. And then get this. Others said, Well, he's like him. Can't be him. It's got to be somebody that looks like him. You ever done that? <laughs> but he said, I am he. He tells them, I'm the guy you, you remember. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Oh, now here we go. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Oh, no. He did it on the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Amazing, isn't it? Just amazing. Others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? Well, obviously he's a sinner. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. How can he do these signs? He's a sinner. Just like they thought. The guy's blind because he's a sinner. And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. Well, of course. <laughs> he's got to be something. He just gave him the ability to see. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received a sight until they called the parents of him who had received a sight. Oh, they're going to ask mom and dad now. Okay. They don't believe this. Something's going on here. And they asked him saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? <laughs> this is really good next. Listen to this. His parents answered him and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. And get this, he's of age, ask him. Don't ask us, we're going to throw him under the bus. Their own son. Sorry, I'm getting a little riled up about this, but this is amazing. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he's of age, 
ask him. So they again called a man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Christ. He answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. And I love what he says here. One thing I know, that though I was blind, I say I see. That's what I know. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, didn't I? Didn't I tell you already? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He's mocking them now. He knows they don't want to become his disciples. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. Well, we are Moses' disciple. Oh, we're better than you. We know that God spoke to Moses as for his fellow, but we do not know where he's from. And the man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but it, wait a minute, what did he say? God does not hear sinners. Oh, well, that's what the Jews believe, right? That sinners couldn't pray. That sinners, God doesn't hear prayers for uh, an unrighteous man, right? And, and that's scriptural. But remember, they believe this man's a sinner because he was blind. Interesting concept. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? Like, who are you to teach us? You sinner. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I mean, obviously. Something's going on. He knows something's going on here. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come to this world, that those who do not see may see. And that those who may see, and that those who see, may be made blind. What? Oh, he's talking to the Pharisees. Verse 40, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, well, are we blind also? And they're like, who are you to tell us that? And I love this last verse. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. He just judged them. Because you know why? They can see. They can see him and they don't believe. And guess what? Their prayers are not heard. The very thing that they talked about this blind man is on them. What a wonderful chapter. I love that chapter. It shows the hypocrisy, the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. But beware, lest we do the same thing, right? We've got to be careful. All that I know is a lot. It's a lot more than what I was getting at here with the prayer thing, right? 
But I want you to understand, even the Pharisees were outside of Christ. It wasn't just the Gentiles. It was also the Jews who did not believe. And this blind man was healed. He knew it was from God. This guy's got to be a prophet. And you silly people are telling me it was because of my sin. Jesus said he was blind. He didn't have sin. Parents didn't sin. Interesting concept. We understand what was accomplished through Christ, the Gentiles now could partake in. He brought to end the old law, Galatians 5, verse 4. I'm not going to read it, but mention these verses. Ephesians 4, and we'll study this later. Verse mainly verses 1 through 6. He sought to unite all into one body so that we should uh, not try to uh, undo the work of Christ on the cross through division, right? We're all one body. We shouldn't be dividing. We know that. And we should understand that we have become in Christ that one body um, that we are fellow citizens with the saints, right? In the wonderful kingdom of God. And therefore, we need to live accordingly. We need to love each other. We need to share each other's burdens. And because we are in that kingdom, we need to be in prayer to our Father. And by the way, those Pharisees were calling him Father. Calling God Father too. Interesting concept. I know we have the situation in Ukraine. We should be in prayer about it. But we should be in prayer every day for anyone that is in need, right? Especially those of our families, those of the brethren here, those that we know need help, that we may not be able to help ourselves. Understand that we are part of this great kingdom. We've become fellow citizens. We've become members of God's household. And let us behave and treat each other as the family of God. Lastly, but not least, we've become the temple of God. We need to remember that. It's easy to go through life and not think about that. But we are the temple that houses the Spirit of God. We need to be careful not to profane God's holy habitation, right? All you got to do to understand that is look at the way Jesus cleansed the temple when the money changers were there, right? That was the house of God, physical house of God to the Jews. Now ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our souls, everything we have is that temple of God now. We shouldn't be profaning it. We should live according to the Spirit. He's speaking here in general and corporate terms, and uh, I hope we can see the implications of what he said, right? I know he's particularly talking about the Gentiles, and that, that may be not may not pertain so much to us today because we understand that we understand that the gospel's for all, right? We understand that. And that salvation came to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, just like it did for the Jews. But we are to be one. We are one. We are in Christ, in the kingdom, one body, and we need to act according. If nothing else, take that away from this lesson today, that we are together. We are together in this. We will continue to be together as long as we are in Christ. That's part of that abundant life that we can live. That's part of those rich blessings that we can have in Christ Jesus. And that's part of that promise that he made originally to Abraham and to us 
through Christ Jesus. If you've not put on your Lord in baptism, baptized into Christ, today is the perfect day to do it. I know I'm preaching, but I had to put that in there. All right, our time is up.